This is episode 99 discussing recovery from three different perspectives, acute recovery, training as recovery, and long-term recovery from season to season. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm your host. I'm usually speaking to some world-class runner or coach, exercise scientist, maybe a registered dietitian, strength and conditioning coach, or some other expert who can help you bring your running to the next level. Today, you're in for a treat or maybe just a slap in the face, depending on how you look at it, because you're just hanging out with me. We're going to talk more about recovery and specifically recovery through three different perspectives. Acute recovery, or what you'll do immediately after a hard workout or race. Recovery as preparation, or what you do in training that makes recovery easier. And finally, long-term recovery, from season to season, so you can avoid overtraining and burning out. Now, I think it's helpful to talk about recovery from different perspectives, but also different timescales because recovery can happen in the micro and the macro. And I think this is really important because, you know, we runners tend to get caught up in this, I think, very one-dimensional form of thinking about recovery, where we're only focused on recovery after a run. It's what we do after a race or a long run or a workout that defines recovery. But recovery is bigger than that. And we'll all be better runners if recovery is more three-dimensional in our training. But let me first uh, take a step back and focus on the big picture. Now, you might remember back in episode 84, we had Christy Ashwanden on the podcast to talk about recovery. Now, she wrote a really fantastic book called Good to Go, What the Athlete and All of Us Can Learn from the Strange Science of Recovery. And I asked her at the end of the podcast if you had one piece of advice about recovery and you're speaking to the upcoming Olympic team, every sport that's represented in the Olympics, you're speaking to the entire team from the United States, what would you say? And it was very interesting. She talked about recovery in terms of number one, let's prioritize sleep. That is the thing that helps us recover the most. But also number two, Let's reduce stress in our lives. And we're not just talking about the physical and mental stress you get from training and racing and competing, but really all the other stress in your life. You have professional stress. You might have stress from a relationship or in your family. All the other forms of stress in our life are equally important to consider because stress is stress and it's all going to contribute to us not recovering very well from any kind of physical challenge that we're engaged in. And finally, the other piece of recovery that Christy talked about was simply relaxation, which was finding an activity or a ritual, maybe a routine of yours that's very personal to you that makes you incredibly relaxed. So it might be lying on the couch for 45 minutes a couple times a week, reading your favorite book, and that's incredibly restorative and relaxing to you. It could be gardening outside. There's almost an unlimited number of things you could do as your personal relaxation routine. But I just want to mention this right now at the outset because she didn't talk about cryotherapy. Christy wasn't advocating for dry needling or cupping or compression socks or any of the products 
that comprise the recovery industry. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, recovery is about what you're not doing than what you are doing. And I think that's really important to start. But I do want to get into this idea of thinking about recovery from three different perspectives. Now, let's first start with acute recovery, because I think this is what we first come to when we start thinking about recovery. And this is what you do immediately after a long run or a race or a workout. This is what you're doing to recover. Now, let's use the marathon as a good example here, because the marathon is kind of an extreme event. It's also an event that a lot of runners have participated in. And if you've ever run a marathon, you know that as soon as you cross the finish line, one of the first things you're thinking about is, man, do I just want to feel like myself again? (laughs) So let's think about this time after the marathon. You cross the finish line. What is the first thing that you do right after you cross the finish line? Well, And in this example too, by the way, is going to be very indicative of the entire recovery process. So even if you've never run a marathon or you have no plans to run a marathon, what we're now going to talk about is a very comprehensive day of the marathon recovery routine. So maybe you're only racing 5Ks or obstacle course races, but you're really going to get an idea now of leaving no stone unturned to recover as much as you can. So... Here we go. You cross that finish line of the marathon. What happens? Well, first thing you should do is probably keep walking. Don't put your head between your knees. Don't sit down. Let's keep walking for 5, 10, 15 minutes to help yourself cool down. That's going to be much better than sitting or lying down immediately after the race. Now, we do this because it helps with two major issues. Number one, low blood pressure often accompanies a sudden stop in running. You don't want to faint. And number two, walking is going to promote extra blood flow to clear your muscles and bloodstream of exercise byproducts, things like lactate, cortisol, adrenaline, particularly at the end of a race when hormonally these are at their highest levels. Now, in most marathons, there's also going to be fluids and some food available at the finish line. Now, you should take advantage of these resources. As soon as possible, start rehydrating, taking in calories because your muscles are going to be absolutely carb-starved at this point, and they're really going to start demanding some more of that energy. So start eating as soon as you can. It doesn't really matter what you eat. I think it's important to remember that marathon refueling is very different than eating for health. While it's very important to eat nutritious foods, of course, at this point, it's most critical to begin the rebuilding process with calories, any calories. But focus on a few major principles. Number one, your body is dehydrated. Start drinking fluids as soon as possible. Number two, focus on carb-rich foods. Yes, that includes simple sugars and processed foods. It's okay, you just ran 26.2 miles. And number three, try to eat something with protein in it to help rebuild your damaged muscles. They've undergone a lot of trauma over the last three, four, five hours, and that rebuilding process As soon as you start it, the better. After the race, as soon as your stomach can handle some more substantial food, aim for a well-balanced meal. Now, since you did just finish a 26.2 mile race, now's the time to order that greasy burger, fries, and a beer. You can have a more reasonable dinner later on, but for now, focus on lots of food. Remember too that recovery isn't just about what you do, but what you don't do. 
Avoid celebrating your finish with more than just a few alcoholic drinks. That's just going to increase dehydration, prevent nutrients from being absorbed in your gut, and it may even impact your sleep quality that night, which, again, is probably the most important recovery tool at your disposal. You should also wait one or two days to get a massage. I know a lot of marathoners just hop right on that massage table at the finish line, but that can actually further exacerbate some muscle damage if it's done too early. You really want to let your muscles settle down, reduce a little bit of that inflammation before you get a deep tissue massage. Let's also try not to stand up for extended periods of time later in the day. Now is the time to rest, put your feet up. And later in the day, after the race, after you've had a chance to shower and eat, it's still a good idea to avoid any form of self-massage or other kinds of exercise. Your body is kind of in a fight-or-flight mode right now, and it just needs rest. Now, you could do an ice bath. This is a helpful tool to help curb a little bit of inflammation that might be at peak levels throughout your body the day of a marathon. So just dump a bag of ice in a cold tub of water, immerse your lower body for 10 or 15 minutes, and you can then just stand up and take a normal shower and you'll get a nice little contrast bath effect. To further jumpstart the recovery process, focus on a couple things the rest of the day. Continue to hydrate and drink to thirst. Don't allow yourself to go a while without drinking fluids. Your body really needs those that extra water and also just flushing out your body of any of those exercise byproducts. Now, after that much-deserved cheat meal, have your next meal include a lot of nutrient-dense foods like fruits and vegetables, healthy cuts of meat, nuts and seeds, and whole grain foods. Now, here's an important one. If you can, take a nap. Sleep is when the body is most efficient at muscle repair. So again, if you can, aim for a 90-minute nap. That's going to allow your body to get through an entire sleep cycle. So you'll actually get a little bit of deep sleep as well if you're able to sleep for 90 minutes. And later in the day, try to go to sleep as early as possible. Your body really needs it after a marathon. So that's what a recovery routine might look like on the day of a marathon. When you've just undergone an extreme race, you are incredibly sore. The race is so long and challenging that you're not going to even do a cool down from this race. So a lot of ultra marathoners are familiar with this. You know, you finish the race and you're done for the day. We're not going to do a running cool down. We don't need to do a lot of recovery methods or strategies this day, we're really focusing on limiting damage and getting sleep and as much good nutrients and calories into your body as we can. That is acute recovery. Now let's move on to recovery as preparation. Now recovery as preparation really means that you're simply doing adequate training so that on race day, you're not asking too much of yourself. Now, again, let's use the marathon as an example because it's a very challenging race. Most problems in the marathon are because you're not prepared for the distance or you're not prepared for the pace. So when you hit the wall at mile 20 or 21 in the marathon, that's often because you just went out too fast. It also could be because you are not really prepared for the distance itself. So I know a lot of marathoners who might only run 16 to 18 miles during their training, and then they hope that, you know, the magic of race day and all that adrenaline will get them the extra 8 to 10 miles across the finish line. But that's a big risk, and I prefer to prepare a little bit more for my races. And frankly, if you can get your long run up to 
20 to 22 miles or maybe a cap of three and a half hours as a time-based run, then you're going to be much more prepared for the marathon distance. And as soon as the distance gets more manageable, as soon as that distance gets more doable for you, then you're not going to struggle so much with the distance. You'll start struggling with the pace that you want to run over the course of 26.2 miles. So when it does come to the marathon, I like to see a couple different things. Number one, did the athlete get their long run up to at least 18 to 22 miles? Now, this is a big range for a long run distance because some runners can run 22 miles in far less than three hours. And if that's the case, this is probably a more advanced runner and they should go up to about 22 miles during their long run as long as that jump up in mileage doesn't represent a huge long run PR for them. But this distance really is going to prepare a runner for the marathon because it's more marathon specific. The longer it is, the more it looks like the marathon itself. Now, if you can't get up to 22 miles, and you certainly don't have to, if you're more along the lines of an 18 or 19 mile long run, then we can still get in a lot of fitness during this type of a long run for the marathon without jeopardizing how well you're going to finish. And so when you're only doing an 18 or 19 mile long run, it does pay to do some quality within that long run. So what does that mean? That means for the marathon, because this is the example we're using, we're going to do some goal pace running within the long run itself. So maybe you have an 18 mile run and you're going to do three two mile repetitions at your goal marathon pace. And that all happens within the last, say, eight miles of the long run. So what you do is you pre-fatigue your legs, you get tired, you run about 10 miles, and then you start running your goal marathon pace with maybe a minute or two of just you know easy recovery in between. And this kind of a long run, while shorter, makes up for some of that missed distance with quality. Now, I also like to look at total mileage. Now, at a very bare minimum, I like to see runners somewhere in the 35 to 40 miles per week range. Now, that also means that their long run is going to be about 50% of their weekly mileage. It's not the best kind of a situation to be in because I think that's very aggressive. I think it increases your injury risk. But at the same time, if that's all you can manage in terms of mileage, then I do think that's the minimum. But marathoners who are able to get up to 45, 50 miles per week and beyond, even if those runs are coming in a lot of shorter runs during the week, then they're just going to be much more prepared for the marathon. Because after all, the marathon is a long event. It requires a lot of endurance and stamina and aerobic development. And the best way to gain all that endurance is with running a lot of easy mileage. So I love thinking about recovery as training because we can beat ourselves up less if we're properly trained. That 5K is not going to leave your legs feeling like toast. The marathon is not going to leave your legs feeling like they got run over by a truck as much <laughs> than as, as if you were properly trained. So let's get trained. Then the races will simply be a logical extension of our training. We won't be asking too much of our bodies on race day, and we won't need to deal with excessive amounts of recovery afterwards because we're not so physically damaged from the race itself. All right, let's talk about long-term recovery. 
This is really talking about recovery from season to season, keeping the things fresh, not focusing on the same type of goal year after year, and building variety into your running so that you're engaged and interested in your training. So one of the things that I see very frequently are runners who have big marathon goals. And I know we've been talking about the marathon a lot in this episode, but I think it's valuable. And when you have a big marathon goal, it's very tempting to only run marathons. You might run a half marathon as a tune-up race during your marathon training as you get ready for that 26.2 mile goal. But typically these runners will race two to three marathons a year, then it'll take some time off and they will just repeat that process. Now, the problem here is that you're just doing the same training over and over again. And that's not really gonna help you develop into a well-rounded, powerful, strong, fast runner. It's much more beneficial to change your the type of race that you're training for so you can do different training so that you can focus on something different from season to season. Now, we're gonna get into that very soon, but one of the things that's important when you're talking about long-term recovery is knowing how to plan a, a training cycle or a season. And one of the things that I really wanna press on you is that we are constantly, as runners, cycling through a couple different phases of training in perpetuity. We start off with some easy base training. Then, as our mileage builds, we start building in faster workouts, and then we kind of get into our, our challenging phase of training. This is often called you know, peak training or the competitive phase of a training cycle, and this is where we're doing our hard workouts, we're gonna start racing, and then finally there's the period of our training cycle where the bulk of our racing happens. And that's where, really where we wanna be at our peak fitness. And then after our goal race, once we've run the last race in our season, there's a period of rest, relaxation, where you can really just take some time off, focus not on being a runner, and just have a little fun. Now that should really only be maybe five days at the minimum, maybe two weeks at the maximum, but after every big training cycle, you should have a little bit of time off. And once you have your training season all set up so that you know, okay, I've I have the right races planned. I have them scheduled appropriately in my training cycle. My training cycle is an appropriate length. I'm definitely going to take some time off afterwards. Now we can talk about how to recover within a training cycle. And a lot of this has to do with variety. Variety is the spice of life, and it's the spice in our training that keeps things fresh. So there's a lot of different things that you can vary, things that that you can change in your training plan to keep things fun, interesting, and so that you're not just doing the same thing over and over again. One of the big ones is terrain. You can run hilly terrain, flat terrain, uneven trails, a cinder path if you have it available, dirt roads, you can run on snow, asphalt, grass. There's many different surfaces that you can run on and they all have pros and cons. They all help you build strength in slightly different ways. And it's very important to get on different running surfaces regularly. It helps build athleticism. Next, you can run many different paces every week from really easy jogging to sprinting. We should always include a variety of paces throughout the week so that we're moving through larger ranges of motion and that we're just building comfort and familiarity with these faster paces. 
Now we should also include a wide variety of flexibility and strength exercises. If you're familiar with my sandwiching concept where your run is preceded by a dynamic warmup and then followed by some runner specific strength and core routines, then that's where we can get in all those different exercises. We can also rotate several different types of shoes and maybe even doing a tiny bit of barefoot running. Now elite coach Brad Hudson calls these little wrinkles that are purposely built into any good training program. They help you stay mentally focused. They reduce the repetitive nature of running. So you're not constantly subjecting your legs to the same type of running. Now those are small variations. Those are what I like to call micro variations. Now we can get back to something I mentioned before, macro variations. And one of the big ones is race selection. You can train for a 5K or a half, or a trail ultra marathon, a 10K trail race, a marathon, triathlon, obstacle course race. I mean, there's so many different options. And then your overall training approach. Maybe one season you focus on higher volume versus low volume, which you might already be more familiar with. You might start strength training and really make it a point in this training cycle to be consistent with actual workouts in the gym, something you've never done before. Alternatively, you could do a low volume, high intensity training program where you have a lot of speed work, but the volume is, is a lot lower. Or you might just add in a ton of cross training. I did this for me personally one summer before a cross country season, where in addition to all the running I was doing, which was substantial, I also did between three and four hours of pool running and cycling over the course of that week. And you know, week after week after week, I got so much stronger with all that cross training. It really made me into a faster runner just because I had so much extra endurance. And I've felt that one personally and just know that cross training is not very fun, but it can really transform your running. Now, can you see how this might increase your chance of a running injury if you only trained for the same two to three distance races every year? You're going to do almost the same workouts the same mileage, the overall training year after year. Changing the macro elements of your training is just as important as altering the micro elements like shoe choice and terrain for injury prevention reasons and to help you recover more fully. So you'll see here with these approaches that we can build more recovery into our training many different ways. And in fact, we should be thinking about everything we can possibly do to recover from a hard workout long run or race, like we talked about with that marathon example. But then we should also focus on our training and making sure that we're doing the work so that the race itself is not so incredibly challenging that we potentially hurt ourselves or require so much recovery that we can't actually get. And then, of course, there's adding variety into your training and making sure that you're recovering from season to season. A big part of that is simply making sure that you're taking some time off after each season where you're not doing any running or other more formal exercise, and you're just giving your body a little bit of a break. And then build in that variety. Build in all the little micro variations and little wrinkles, as Coach Brad Hudson calls them, into your training cycle that you can. And then from a macro perspective, train for different races. You're going to be doing different types of training, and that is certainly going to keep things fresh and to keep your fitness progressing. Now, I can't manage your stress for you. I can't help you sleep more, but I can help you figure out the best way to manage acute recovery needs. So one of the things 
that you're going to have to do after long runs, workouts, or, or big races is manage that acute recovery, just like after a marathon. And one of the most important tools a runner can have for recovery, besides a great sleep schedule, is the foam roller. Now, the benefits are pretty substantial for foam rolling. There's enhanced circulation and blood flow, particularly to the extremities. By stimulating blood flow, you can, you're going to get dramatically more oxygen delivered to those sore muscles. And there's also a feeling of relaxation and the promotion of a feeling of well-being. So I think foam rolling is really beneficial, not just for the physical effects that it's giving you, but also just for the fact that you know you're doing something for recovery that promotes relaxation. And that really hits with one of Christy Ashwanden's principles of recovery, which is find time to relax. So if you like foam rolling, if it makes you feel good, if it also makes you feel good mentally, then that's a great indication that foam rolling is a really good recovery strategy for you. But that's not all. Foam rolling does so much more. It reduces stress hormones and inflammation, it improves your range of motion, and it actually improves immune function too. So clearly there's a lot to like about using a foam roller. And in fact, when I talked to Christy Ashwand in an episode 84 of the podcast, you know, we did go into a lot of the different strategies like cupping and dry needling and foam rolling. And foam rolling, in, in my view, really is one of the most basic fundamental but also effective forms of recovery. It's not super expensive. Almost everyone has their own foam roller and you can do this regularly at home. So I think it's a win-win. And so I think foam rolling can be a very prominent and helpful part of any runner's training program. It's gonna improve your recovery, promote well-being, and it's gonna help you feel better while you're running. Now, Dr. Jason Ross is a chiropractor. He's a strength coach that I've worked with in the past. And uh, he told me, he said, foam rolling is a great habit for runners pre and post run. It's an integral part of their cool down to kickstart recovery. It's been shown to increase range of motion and also decrease discomfort from delayed onset muscle soreness. It also changes how an athlete feels, which in turn will have a positive impact on mood and movement. I love that. It's very succinct, but you know, this is a strength coach that has worked with Dathan Ritzenhine, who's an Olympic level athlete in the United States. And when I see these high level coaches and strength coaches talk about the benefits of foam rolling, I'm sold. Now I've put together a foam roller guide that you can download for free at strengthrunning.com roller. That's like a cheat sheet to my favorite foam rolling movements. It has a photo guide for uh, optimal positions, so you know where to put your body to massage the, the muscles that you need to massage, common mistakes to avoid, best practices, and ideal times for using a foam roller. Because there's certain times where you probably don't want to use a foam roller. For example, a couple minutes after you've finished a marathon, and there's several others as well. So you can head on over to strengthrunning.com roller to get yours today. I hope you enjoy that foam rolling guide. I actually ran a race about two weeks ago and I've been spending a lot more time on my foam roller and thinking more about recovery, thinking more deeply about some of the topics that we talked about today. And so this podcast was almost some of my notes over the last couple of weeks on, on some of the recovery aspects that I've been thinking about, uh, but I also you know, a little bit selfishly, wanted to really prioritize my own recovery. And so this is how I think about it for myself. So I hope this was helpful. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. And we'll be in touch soon.